You're listening to The Devoted Podcast, where our desire is to be women devoted to the Word of God. We're so glad you're here, and we pray you'll be challenged and encouraged as we look to God's Word together. Hey guys, welcome to The Devoted Podcast. Boy, you know, I think I probably spoke too soon. I think it was last week or two weeks ago when I said that, you know, sometimes I plan out what I think the podcast is going to be and pray about that, and then the Lord goes, no, that's not what you're going to do. Well, today's one of those days, guys, so hang on. We'll see what comes of this, but I had something all prepped out that I was going to talk about, and right now I'm just going to set that over there on the side because maybe the Lord will bring me back to that one at a different time, but in the midst of all my prep for something completely unrelated, this morning I was in my normal quiet time, my through the Bible plan that I am doing, and I just can't get this story and this scripture out of my head. And as I have continued to pray about this all morning, I just keep thinking that this is what the Lord has for the podcast today. So I have no idea who needs to hear this word today, but I have a feeling somebody out there really needs to hear something from the Lord in this story and in this scripture that I'm going to talk about in 1 Kings. So if you're going, well, wait, 1 Kings, and you said you're in your through the Bible plan, it's Genesis. Why would you be in 1 Kings and Genesis if you're reading through the Bible every year? Well, as you remember, I kind of pick where, you know, I I start my Through the Bible plan in random weird times. So I started my Through the Bible plan in July of this year. And so I happen to find myself in 1 Kings right now and not Genesis, where probably many of you guys are at as you are um, committing to reading through the Bible this year. And if that is you, oh, I'm so glad you are. Guys, if you don't have a reading plan, and I don't even care if it's not one that's all the way through the Bible, even though I just could not recommend that more. And even if you want to slow it up and do it in two years or whatever you want to do, but there is just something so amazing about having a plan. And today is really a great example of a way, a way that the Lord uses this. I always try to be flexible in how I present these things because I don't ever want anybody to hear another thing that they have to do. Getting into the Word of God every day is not something to check off your list. I mean, it just is so, so much more than that. But the things, and I've shared this with you guys many times before, that I love so much about knowing that I have a plan, even if I don't check that box off every day, is that when I do open, and I'm having one of those days where I'm like, huh, I don't really know where to go today. Well, I do know where I'm going because I am working through a plan. Now, does the Lord often take me to a different scripture within that study or something else? Totally. But it is just such a great place to start. So, yep, what I'm not sure when you're listening to this. Probably third week of January and you're going, oh, I've already missed the first three weeks of the new year. I can't possibly start. Oh, yes, you can. Start today. Start today. Wherever you are at, get some kind of plan. If you're like, I don't know where to start, well, email me and I'll give you all kinds of suggestions of different ones. I love reading through the Bible chronologically. I always tell myself I'm going to do something different the next year and then I usually end up going right back to reading chronologically because I love reading the story of God and his redemptive plan through the whole council of scripture. And I love reading it as it happened. So that's just something that for the last several years, I've really been stuck on that one. But I do love reading through the entire Bible. And for me, I love to do it within a year, but doesn't mean you have to start on January 1st. So anyway, that was a detour caveat, not where we're going today, but it's kind of what where it got me today. So this morning, like I said, I'm in uh, First Kings. 
And as you're reading through, and there's all these different stories of the kings of Israel and Judah, the ones that did well, the ones that did not do well, but you get into the middle of 1 Kings and you come across the story of Elijah. Powerful story, right? And so I'm going to read some sections of scripture. I'm going to just reference some of these stories. I would really encourage you to grab your Bible sometime later and just go and read all of uh, 1 Kings 18, maybe even 17. Go 17, 18, and 19. But I'm going to camp out quite a bit on 18 and 19 today because that's really where the Lord drew my attention and really spoke to me on this morning. But just to remind you of what the story is and where we're at in Scripture, this is where we have King Ahab, who is a wicked, terrible king. And we have this season in Israel that there's a drought, and God called that drought. I mean, there the Lord said there's not going to be rain. So Elijah comes on the scene, and Elijah and Ahab, they're not buds. They're not even close to being friends. And he feels, Ahab feels, that Elijah is the troublemaker. Elijah is the one that is just causing all this trouble in the land of Israel. And Elijah is quick to remind Ahab, no, actually, it's not me that's causing the trouble, but you have led Israel away from the one true God. You are worshiping gods that are false gods and doing all kinds of wicked things. I'm not the troublemaker in Israel. But this great story plays out where Elijah kind of does a challenge with the prophets of Baal. And he knows those gods are fake. They're nothing. And he presents this challenge to Ahab, and he says, you know what? You bring your prophets, and we're going to have a little competition. And we're going to see see whose God is God, right? Let's pick up in verse 22 of chapter 18, and it says, Then Elijah said to the people, I... Even I only am a left a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. So here's his challenge. He says, let two bulls be given to us and let them choose one bull for themselves, cut into the pieces, lay it on the wood, but put no fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it out on the wood, but put no fire to it. And then he says to them, he says, you call upon the name of your God, little g. I will call upon the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God, capital G. And all the people answered. They said, this is, it is well spoken. And then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose for yourself one bowl and prepare it first for you are many and call upon the name of your God, but put no fire to it. So he gives them this challenge and he wants them to start, have Baal start this fire. And then there's this great little scene that's played out that is just going to be a fantastic, you know, movie to replay when we get to heaven someday and see how this goes down. Because Elijah has some fun with this. Nothing's happening. You know, Baal, the prophets of Baal are over there around their altar, and they're, it says they're limping around, which is sort of like, uh, if you can picture that they're kind of ritualistically dancing around this area to get the attention of Baal to call down fire for their altar. And it's not happening. Of course it's not happening, right? And Elijah knows this, and he, so he just keeps having fun with them. What, what's going on? Why is your God not answering? Is he on a break? He literally says, is he on a bathroom break even, you know? So he just kind of has some fun with them, and it's not happening. And these guys are getting ridiculous. They're, they're starting to, like, uh, slash at themselves. And, I mean, they are just emptying themselves in front of this false god, trying to get the attention of their god. And it's kind of a crazy display. 
And then you get to the part where it's Elijah's turn. And when Elijah, he's about to do his part and he calls people together, he says, you know what, let's up the stakes just a smidge. And so he has them set the altar. He has them do all the, all the things they're going to do. But then he's like, you know what, let's, let's go more than this. So he has them like dig a trough around the, uh, around the altar and he has them bring in all this water and absolutely drench the altar, everything on the altar, the wood, the stones, everything around it. He just has it b- drenched in water. So the Baal altar, they didn't ask to do that. But this is what he does for the one that he has. And then you have this piece, and I, and I love what he does here. He, he prays. And you know how we've talked about before that there's a funny notion in, you know, Christian culture that our prayers need to be just this perfectly worded, and they got to be long and impressive. And there are so many examples in Scripture where that does not pan out. So it is just yet another reminder that, guys, you can pray anywhere, any way you want, as quick as a prayer you want, as loud as a prayer as you want. But it isn't our words, necessarily, that is what is moving the Lord. I think there's so much heart and so much posture behind this prayer, not just what's being spoken here. But I want to read you what he says, because, you know, we we I just kind of retold you this dramatic display that the prophets of Baal did. And then it's Elijah's turn, and he says, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. Okay, guys, that's his prayer. That's it. What did that take me, like 15 seconds to read? That's his prayer. And this is the Lord's response. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up all the water that was in the trench. That was the Lord's response to that little 15-second prayer. Any questions? Right? I mean, can you imagine what this would have looked like to the prophets that were, at this point, bleeding because they'd been gashing themselves and doing all they can, completely exhausted and spent for, you know, all their energies that they had been expending trying to get the attention of Baal that is no God at all. And in a short little prayer, God brings down fire, totally consumes the sacrifice, the altar, the wood that it's on, the stones, it says even the dust. That is a pretty dramatic display. So that's the first story that we have here in 1 Kings. And actually, if you do go back and you read in, uh, I think it is in chapter 17 or maybe it's in 16, Elijah had seen other miraculous things that the Lord had done. He had been taking shelter with a widow and her son. And that's the great story of there, there was no water in the land, no food, famine. I mean, it was, it was an awful time. And this widow is basically preparing her last meal for her and her son to eat and die because there's nothing left. And Elijah comes upon her and says, make me something out of that bread and oil that you have left. And it's not going to run dry. And so she does. She's obedient to it, which to me in itself, if you put yourself in that widow's shoes when it's her life and her son's life on the line and she chooses to obey the prophet of the Lord, even in that situation, that is pretty amazing. 
So she does that. And the, and the oil and the flour, they don't run out in it every day. There's just enough so that they can keep going. Well, in the process of them living there, her son gets ill and he dies. And Elijah comes in and prays to the Lord and the son is healed and breath enters him and he walks around and he, he's alive. So this is now the second pretty remarkable, miraculous thing that he has seen the Lord do. So Elijah has seen this dramatic display. And then right after this situation where the Baal prophets have been utterly exposed and God shows himself to be the one true God and consumes the altar with fire, right after that, rain comes. The Lord does bring rain on the land. So you're going, man, this is good. Things are going right. Elijah serving the Lord, seeing some miraculous things, the Lord delivering, the Lord bringing rain. It would seem the Lord is just walking and and is with Elijah. And you think of him and you think he must just feel comforted by the Lord, strengthened by the Lord to be able to see all of these miraculous, huge things that the Lord is doing. Well, then you come to chapter 19. In chapter 19, the beginning of it, guys, it almost makes you laugh because the first part of it, it talks about Jezebel a little bit. And Jezebel is just one wretched lady for sure. I mean, she is absolutely wicked. And there's going to be all kinds of uh, the story that happens to her is just fitting. I mean, I don't think there's anybody in when you read scripture, they're like, yeah, you had that coming. But Jezebel, totally wicked. She is just enraged at what Elijah has done. And that, you know, the part I didn't read in the story is the probably not the PG-13 version where then Elijah takes those 450 prophets of Baal and he takes them down and he slaughters them. All of them. All of them. They're gone. So Jezebel's not too happy that her prophets have been killed. And and she threatens Elijah. She said, this is, I will get you. (laughs) I am coming for you. Jezebel says this. Well, not that she's not wicked and scary and all of those things. But considering what Elijah had just seen, the raising of a, a boy that came, came to life again, God calling fire down on, uh, on to the altar and consuming the entire altar, he'd seen some pretty radical things. And then you get to this next section, and what happens? Elijah is scared of a girl. He is scared of Jezebel, and he runs for his life from Jezebel. I mean, guys, that, that kind of cracks me up. He's running from a girl. He has just seen some of the most dramatic displays of the power of the one true God, and he's running from a girl. One of the things that hit me about this is I think we can look at mighty leaders like Elijah that, you know, man, they've seen the power of God in dramatic ways. And almost put them on a different spiritual plane than us. Like, oh, we could never know that kind of power. We could never have that kind of experience with the Lord like someone like Elijah does. But I think this is actually a really good reminder that are we really that dissimilar? You know, he sees these dramatic displays from the Lord, and then he is terrified, and he runs away. And I want to get into the next section of where he goes and and what that looks like, too. But just for a second, like, if you have found yourself in the last year or so freaked out and scared and anxious about stuff, 
And then maybe you rally and you come back and you're like, oh, man, what what am I doing? I have nothing to be afraid of. The scripture says be anxious for nothing. And you bring that back in. And then five seconds later, you're like, are, are, you know, you're worried about something again. Well, you're kind of in good company. I'm in good company. Because here you have Elijah, this mighty, fiery prophet that saw these things right up front in person. I mean, I think we would sit here and go, man, if I saw God consume an altar like that with fire, I think I'd be, you know, pretty sold. Like, you got this, Lord. There is absolutely nothing that you could not do. He raised a boy from the dead. I mean, I think I'd be going, yeah, I, I think you got this. And I probably don't need to be scared of Jezebel. But yeah, he is, guys. He is. Our fears can be pretty irrational at times. And I think when we see this, the what happened with Elijah here, it's pretty irrational, but we're just not that different. And I think we can also be similar with Elijah here in that we can kind of have the memory of a gnat. It's sort of like we can have some amazing experience, see how the Lord has provided and delivered, and then, you know, the next day, be afraid of a Jezebel. So where does Elijah go after this? You know, he gets all scared from Jezebel. And he, it says in verse three, it says, then he was afraid and he arose and he ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah and left his servant there. So he runs away to this area. And what I find interesting is as you read these chapters, if you go back and you read 17, 18 and 19, you're going to see all these times where it says the word of the Lord said, God said, God did, you know, but there is this, you can see that he was, Elijah was getting his instructions from the Lord. Well, you get to verse three there and it says he was afraid and he arose and ran for his life. There is no, the word of the Lord came to Elijah and said, run for your life to Beersheba. So this was Elijah's call here. He was not consulting the Lord. He ran, he was chicken, and he freaked out. And I'm not saying that to diss on Elijah, because like I just said, guys, we can be so similar in this. But here's another part of the story that I have more of another, I guess I shouldn't say more, but, you know, another relating to moment. And perhaps this is the one that made me not so excited to jump into this today. But you know what? Where the Lord leads, we just need to obey. But it says in verse four, but he himself went a day's journey and into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, it is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and he slept under a broom tree. This is, no matter how you want to color it and whatever modern word you want to use, this is depression right here. This is Elijah's moment, laying in the dirt. Lord, I just, I'm done. It's enough. He even says, I want to die. I don't, I, I just, I can't do this anymore. Isn't that interesting? Guys, we've been talking about the whole time, all the things, all the dramatic, amazing things that Elijah had experienced. And yet, five seconds later, he finds himself under a broom tree in the wilderness in a place that the Lord did not call him to go and just saying, I'm done. This is enough. I can't do this. Many of us have been there. We have had our own broom tree that we have found ourselves under. And we have said Sometimes audibly, sometimes just in our own head, oh, it's enough. I can't do it anymore. And I find even his next, the thing he does next, what does it say he does? He, he lays down and he slept. Boy, when I have had my seasons, and there have been many guys, of depression and fighting that, that's what happens, right? There, there's just, it's the energy is just sapped from you. You got nothing. 
and you lay down under your broom tree and you just sleep. But this next part is the part that intrigues me, blesses me, and reminds me of just the sweet compassion of the Lord. Because it's easy, I think, for you and I to get kind of, you know, judgy of Elijah. Going, dude, pull it together. You've seen some amazing stuff, and you're going to now go lay down under a broom tree and say it's enough? You're going to be scared of Jezebel, and you're going to run away, and you're not going to look to the Lord? Look at what he's done. How? How do you possibly find yourself asleep, depressed, under a broom tree? But that's our human nature, right? And we've all been in those places, you know, the, pl- the places when we are having that downtime. And, you know, there is always a very a well-intentioned person that's like, just pull it together. And don't be harsh on that person because, honestly, that's our human capacity. Because from the outside, it's easy to look at Elijah and say, man, look at all the things that the Lord is doing for you, has done, has blessed you with. Lord could say that same thing about me when I was in those seasons. Amy, look at all of the things that the Lord has blessed you with. Look at your family and your boys. And man, I mean, the Lord has just been so good to you. What are you doing sleeping under your broom tree? Why? Well, that's that's our human condition. But I want to read to you what the Lord's response was to Elijah in this situation. So it says right in the middle of that verse, after he says he laid down and he slept under the broom tree. And then it says, and behold, an angel touched him and said to him, arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate, and he drank, and he lay down again. This is interesting, okay? The angel did not come to Elijah just yet and say, march right back to Jezebel and tell her she's got nothing on the Lord. Like, you have nothing to be afraid of. He didn't give him marching orders necessarily yet. He told him to arise. So in other words, wake up for a sec and eat. That's all I told him to do for now. It was a really small, compassionate step, I think. He provided for him physically. Eat. Just get your strength. And then it goes on. It says in verse 7, And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the Mount of God. So he comes to him a second time. And this time, there's another thing. Did you see that? So he says, arise and eat. Same same instruction as before. And then he says, little hint of a marching order here. For the journey is too great for you. Meaning, you got a road trip coming up. Now he's given a little bit of some marching orders. But before he didn't do that, did he? He just said, just wake up, just eat. Just get your strength. He was pointing him and helping him out physically. Rest, eat. And then he, he lets him go back to sleep, back under his, under his broom tree. And then he touches him a second time and he says, rise and eat. And then that's when he gives him that hint of what's coming. And he says, the journey ahead of you is great. The Lord knows what he's preparing us for, doesn't he? When I read this and it tells him that that he went in, the, he said the strength of that food lasted him for 40 days and 40 nights. So you have to, when you hear 40 days and 40 nights, you got to think of all kinds of 40s in the scriptures. You know, I think of the wilderness wandering that the Israelites went through for 40 years. There's this picture of 
of that time in the wilderness. Same thing with, uh, you know, Jesus was tested in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. So some observations that I take away from this text is in the compassion of the Lord's response here. We read in those first ones, it was, it was kind of incremental. It was very kind. He doesn't shake Elijah and, you know, get mad at him and go, how, how, you know, you just saw me do all this stuff. How are you possibly here? He doesn't scold him for that. He gives him food to eat. He allows him to rest. And then he gives him this food that it says then it lasts him for 40 days. There's, there's time there. Do you notice that, that Elijah doesn't hit the ground running for whatever it is that the Lord has for him next on the next day? Like he knows it's going to take some time. And I think here is where I have to pause again and just reflect on my own experiences and the times where we go through these seasons in the wilderness that are just, they feel dry. You feel like, man, I, I barely have what I need to keep going. That's what we think. But I think sometimes we're just like Elijah here that that food that he's giving us is enough to get us through that season. But I do also love the compassion in the Lord that he gives him some time. We can cynically look at this and go, Elijah, why did you even need time? Why were you not trusting in the Lord? Why did you not just, you know, get up and keep on the battle? But I love that the Lord does not do that. He's not done that with me. And I bet that even though we think we're often not deserving of that, I don't if you're in that season where you are feeling really dry, where you are under your broom tree right now and you are crying to the Lord, it is enough. This is it. I'm done. The Lord is being, he is so compassionate and so loving. And he is going to give you that food, that rest that you need to get you through. He's not scolding you. He's not shaking you, going, get your act together. He is kindly giving you what you need when you need it. I love that. There are so many scriptures that when I have been in those seasons that I feel like the Lord just kind of puts on at like a tape that just kind of keeps replaying in my brain. I always find I can take no credit for them because guys, don't you just feel like they pop into your brain kind of almost out of nowhere. Often for me, it's Psalms. And I've talked about in, in other podcasts, but I'll throw it out here again. If you're in that season, if you're under that broom tree right now and you're trying to figure out where exactly that food is going to come from that you need right now, I am telling you without a doubt, it is coming from the Word of God. When I was trying to get through those seasons where you're just trying to muddle through, you know, I, mom, I had young kids. You know, life's just still going on. It does not stop because you're having a rough season. So I would usually pace my days out and so that you're trucking along, you're trying to tread water. And I'd get to about, about one o'clock. And in some seasons when my kids were really young, that happened to be nap time. In others times when they were older, I had to just make, see, make that time differently. But I would go into my room for about usually about 30 minutes at least. And I would listen to the Bible on audio. You can read it too, but I, I honestly find that the exhaustion is so oh, thick when you're going through those broom tree times that um, I just honestly, I didn't even think I could read, but I can listen. And I would, I would just play the Psalms. And I would play the Psalms in audio, pick different versions, whatever you want. But I would just lay there and get some rest, pray, 
asking the Lord to be my strength and listen to those psalms. And it's always those times when something would just pop out to you. For me, it was from the Psalms, encouraging me in the things that like David would be encouraged when he would say, why so cast down on my soul, oh, my soul? And then he gives himself a response too. And he says, hope in the Lord. And sometimes when you're in those seasons, you know how sometimes you're saying the words and you're like, I don't, I don't even know what this means right now. But I would, I, I suggest that I don't think that that means that those words don't still have a whole lot of power. Let that, let the water of the word, you know, just like even this picture of that the angel touched Elijah and there was a cake that had been baked and water sitting there. Water is a picture of the word. And there's such a cleansing effect that the, that the word does when we need to have our brains kind of cleaned up just a little bit. Exodus 15, 2 says, the Lord is my strength and my song and he has become my salvation. This is my God. I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. That sounds like such a big exaltation of praise verse, right? And I love that verse. I think that sometimes verses like that, just memorizing that and then just saying those ones over and over, or how about a 1 Timothy 1.12? I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Let that one just run around there because sometimes we're we're in that broom time and we think that it's enough. It's easy to convince ourselves that we have not been appointed to anything. That's not true. We have been appointed. We have good works that he prepared in advance for us to do. Those are good things to just kind of let those continue to just marinate in your brain and keep them going. But the word is the key. When you are under the broom tree, be reminding yourselves of scripture and be encouraged. Let that be your water that is right there keeping you going for those 40 days. But like I said, again, I do, I just keep coming back to the fact that, man, he puts in there 40 days. He tells you it's not going to be overnight that you're just going to snap out of this and the broom tree is going to be in the rear view mirror. You're going to be good to go and you're going to be ready for your next, you know, amazing experience of seeing the power of the Lord in your life. 40 days, 40 days. It's not going to be tomorrow. If it is less than that, and you know, that's great. And we're saying 40 in a very, you know, it, I'm not saying that you literally can start the clock right now and count when 39 days, you're going to be all good to go. It's not how these things go. Sometimes it's far less. But I think that the secret, if we can say that there is a secret to getting through these broom tree experiences, it is in the word. And going back to those scriptures, writing them down, Find your thing that makes it so that you are getting that food, that water that you need to sustain you through these 40 days. But I want to keep looking at what happens next, too, because the 40 days is done. And then it says in verse 9, it says, There he came to, this is Elijah, came to a cave and he lodged in it. And behold, here we go. Now we got something we haven't seen in about, I don't know, six or seven verses here. And it says, Behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? The gentleness of the Lord again, I think we see. Because he didn't come to Elijah at that right, at you know, at the start of his broom tree and say, what are you doing? Remember, that's what we think, like we, we would react that way. He did not do that. He has sent, it said his angel touched him. He was comforted. He was nourished during that time. That was the Lord's doing. 
And then after that season, then he comes to him and he says, what are you doing here, Elijah? And we do need those moments too. I remember when I was in college and it was probably my first time that I really battled, that I knew that I, I knew the enemy that I was fighting, I guess. I think I had struggled before, but I didn't know that that's what I was struggling with. But in college, I knew what I was struggling with. And I actually, at that time, I don't know, I just felt like it was almost a sin to admit that I was struggling with depression. But I was, I was in it and I was deep. And it had been a long, I don't even know how much time had gone on. And I had a dear friend in college. She said to me after watching me almost just waste away, like actually almost physically, because I had kind of stopped eating. I, I was not doing well. And she confronted me one time and she came to me and she said, don't you want to get better? Now, if somebody had said that to me, probably in, you know, day one of my broom tree time, then it might have felt harsh and it might have felt, ah, like you don't understand and, you know, all of that. But when she said that to me, the Lord used it. And it was very similar to, I think, what Elijah went through right here at this moment. When the Lord says to Elijah, what are you doing here? Because that same thing, it just resonated. Amy, don't you want to get better? You know, sometimes some people say something and it just, it all of a sudden clicks. And I was like, yeah, I do. And that phrase, she said that to me, guys, oh gosh, it's been like 25 years. And I think of her and that comment that she said, I, I bet it comes up a couple times a month that I still think of that. It was that big of a moment. And we do need those moments because, yep, there's time when we just need to rest and we need that food of the word and we need that time. And then when our strength, when we're ready, then we do need to hear and be receptive to that word that says, okay, it's time. You got to do the next thing. You need to do the things that you were appointed to do. Because Elijah was appointed to do things, but so are we. And then Elijah does respond to the Lord, and he's still struggling. He's still struggling a little bit here. He says, he kind of goes down a little bit of some a, a self-pity trail. And he talks about all the horrible things that the people of Israel are doing. You know, they've forsaken his covenant. They, they've thrown down his altars. And he says, they've killed your prophets with the sword. And then he says, and I, even I only am left and they seek my life. It's a little bit down. He's just feeling sorry for himself. I'm the only one. I am the only one. Is that true? Typically, when I find myself going, I'm the only one that understands. I'm the only one that I can't, you know, you don't know what I'm going through. Those, you know, guys, if you really think about that, is that true? We know that's not true with the Lord. We know that the Lord has never, he will never leave us nor forsake us. We know that. But often, even the people that are closest and that love us, they're right there with us too. Maybe not, they can't be there in the same way that the Lord is, but this is rarely true. <laughs> the I, even I only. 
I usually try to catch myself if I have a sentence where there's a few too many of the personal pronouns in there, I'm probably on the wrong track. If there's a whole lot of me going on, if there's a whole lot of I, I need to shift my focus. I need to focus on the Lord. I need to go back to running through Exodus 15, 2 a few more times. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Just say that. The Lord. The Lord. There's no I in there. There's no me in there. There's no nothing, nothing the Lord is asking you to fight for. The Lord is our salvation. And then I love how the Lord kind of wraps up this situation with Elijah and all that he's gone through. We've had some very dramatic events, right? He got to see the mighty work of the Lord. Then he got to have his broom tree time. And then he's talking to the Lord here. And the Lord says, what are you doing here? And then they have their, these verses here in towards in the middle of 19. I'm going to read these to you because I think they are so good and it's so interesting to me. But it says, starting in around the end of 11, and it says, And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice that said unto him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Basically replays the same thing that he had just said before. Of What, what are you doing? But interesting, these, these dramatic things that it's saying that he heard. There was, there was a mighty wind. There was an earthquake. There was a fire. But you notice in all of those great big displays, it says the Lord was not in that. The Lord wasn't there. But when he did hear the Lord, it was in this low whisper. That phrase right there, low whisper, is some translations or even in the, the Hebrew, the word is thin silence. Thin silence. That's an interesting explanation of that to me. We don't like quiet sometimes when we can't, when we don't think that we're really hearing from the Lord. Lord, I, I can't, I can't hear you. I don't know what's going on. I, and it's just, it seems like it's just crickets. I love Lamentations 3, 26, when it says, it is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. We're told to wait sometimes, guys. Maybe it's 40 days. Maybe it's longer. Maybe it's less than that. I don't know. Everybody's season is a little bit different. But waiting's a thing. We don't like it, but it's a thing. And sometimes that waiting, where it's going to be that thin silence. But I love that this is telling us that that was where the voice of the Lord was. It was in this low whisper, this thin silence. It wasn't as dramatic as the, as the fire or the earthquake or the wind. It wasn't some giant miraculous display, but you can hear the Lord. But we need to be listening for it. And to do that, sometimes we do need to be quiet. I know I need to wrap this up, but I, it's not like I, I am just dying to ever go back to those seasons where you really struggle in those, well, whatever you want to call them, wilderness times. Maybe you call them under your broom tree times. Maybe you'll see this like Elijah does. But those deep valleys where 
the anxiety, the depression is a thick blanket that just saps you of your strength. Many, 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 many of you guys have dealt with that. And if you haven't personally dealt with it, I'd be willing to bet that you have a very close friend who has. Be encouraged that, first of all, you are in good company. Elijah, the fiery prophet of God, went through that. David absolutely went through that. There are lots of examples of very godly men in Scripture that absolutely had that time. But I hope that you also see the compassion of the Lord in those times. Like I said, it's not like I'm dying to ever go back to those or I'm hoping that, you know, I go through that season again. But at the same time, when you are in those moments, I'd almost encourage you, this is going to sound crazy, guys, but I'd almost encourage you to not shun it maybe as much as you want to. Sometimes we want to just get out of that bad experience, that that time of loneliness, that time of um, where we don't feel like we're hearing from the Lord or maybe this waiting season. Now, we do want to hear from the Lord, but sometimes the way we're going to hear from the Lord, it, it might might be a little different. I think Elijah wanted to hear it through the earthquake and the wind and the fire, but where he heard it in the quiet, he heard it in this thin silence such an interesting description to me. So I guess what I'm saying is that perhaps it's in those seasons that that's when you're going to hear from the Lord the most. Maybe the Lord sometimes wants us to wait and sit in this quiet space away from the dramatic, away from the things that distract us, perhaps sometimes, just to give us those that little whisper of his voice. Now, I'm also not suggesting that the Lord wanted Elijah to go here. Because like I said, back in verse 3, it doesn't say the Lord said, go to your broom tree. It didn't say that. No, Elijah did that. Elijah's own fear, Elijah's own anxiety over a girl. Guys, he's scared of Jezebel. That did that. But the goodness and the kindness of the Lord to use those things, even when Elijah made a bad decision and he went under his broom tree, But look how the Lord used it. The Lord took care of him during that time, sent an angel to feed and nourish him, allowed him rest, gave him the strength that he would need for that season that he was in. For that, it was 40 days. And then when he's ready, the Lord meets with him and says, what are you doing here? And kind of reminds him and shakes him up to like, hey, there's some stuff that I've appointed you to do. And I haven't read it yet. Maybe I'll just read it real quick. But because he does say then, I'll, I'll just tell you, he, he does say what this reminds him of the things that he's appointed him to do. And he tells him that he's going to send him to this one town and he's going to appoint this guy as the next king. Kind of a big deal. And he also tells him that he's going to send him somewhere else to call Elisha, who would be the replacement for Elijah. So he gives him some marching orders then. Still love this. He did not give him marching orders the second he was under his broom tree. Nope. Nope. He took care of him. He fed him. He just gave him what he needed when he needed it. But then he shakes him up a little bit and says, what are you doing here? And he reminds him, I have things that I've appointed you to do, like First Timothy says. And he's appointed you to do things also. He's appointed me to do things. So, like I said, I don't know who needed to hear this today. Like, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's that I don't... It's not when you've gone through these seasons, it's not like anybody loves talking about these. And maybe for me, that was that was me today. Maybe it was like, oh, Lord, do I really need to go and revisit that season? 
But I'm praying that this encouraged somebody today because many of us have been there. But I want to remind you of the compassion and the goodness, the kindness of the Lord in these seasons. But I also want to remind you of the other side, that you are appointed for things that he's called you to do. Stay in his word. If you're in that season, stay in it. Whatever way you can do it, whether you can listen to it, whether you can read it, get a friend, have someone come alongside you and pray with you, pray for you, but be encouraged that he is with you under that broom tree. Thank you for tuning in to the Devoted Podcast. We are a ministry of AV Creek Christian Fellowship in West Lynn, Oregon. For more resources, or if you need prayer or encouragement, send us an email at devotedpodcast at apcreek.com.